been you, God. You are the bread of life. And you have come to give us life. For God, our surrender to you, God, is our life. And you've come to give it abundantly. So God, I pray. I pray for the dead soul, for the dry soul. God, I pray that you would awaken them as you've awakened the valley of dry bones. So God, I pray that you would breathe life into us. You give us life. You are the life giver. And we praise you and we look to you. And it's your great name that we pray. Amen. Thanks, man. What a great reminder to just every day being a gift from God every time we get out of bed, every time we get to breathe another breath is one of those great reminders of God's gifts. As we've been studying through the book of Exodus, you might be finding it, chapter 20 is where we'll be in a moment. Uh, I want to give you the crib notes on the Bible, all right? This is, this is it in a nutshell. This is everything you need to know for the test, all right? If you live it well, in fact, everything that I'm going to say in this two-sentence or one-sentence statement, however you want to join together, um, is, then, is then lived out, meshed out, fleshed out, in the rest of the pages of this book. We get this this right. We do well in the, in the other areas. And it's everything that we're supposed to be about. And that is loving God and loving people. If we can get that down, that's it. Loving God, loving people. Loving Say it with me. Loving God, loving people. Absolutely key, crucial element to all of life. In, in fact, I'll say this. According to, to Matthew chapter 22, verse 40, it's everything in the law and the prophets. Everything that's been written before is built on loving God, loving people. Now, the the verse doesn't actually say love God, love people. It actually is a little bit more amplified than that. But that's it. That's it in a nutshell. In fact, the verse is right prior to verse 40 that kind of gives us that. And that is that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of everything that is in us, everything that is inside, outside, around us, everything that that makes up who we are. That is to be an act of worship, an act of love in this love relationship with God. That is the number one commandment. Then the second, as he says, the greatest, the first commandment, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If we can learn, get this down, loving God, loving others, loving God, loving others, then we would get the Ten Commandments. Because as we've been talking through this ten key moves of our life, all generations, all walks, all, all socioeconomic settings, no matter where you, when you live, where you live, that if we can get these ten moves down, and you can really sum them up in just learning how to love God. And for the first four commandments, I just revisited those this morning in preparing for today. I thought, man, there's so much in those first four commandments. I don't feel like I did it justice. I feel like I need to go back and redo it again because it's just so full in this how to love God and be in this unadulterated, beautiful love relationship with God. But then the rest, the, the other six of the commandments, really have to deal with how we relate with one another, how we love our neighbors, how we live in this community called the world, and how we get along and go along um, in this world. Now, as you talk about that, you know, the rest of the Bible then is unpacking this, this value add of loving God, loving people, loving God, loving people. The rest of it is that story. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. In fact, because we are a fallen people in a fallen world, that loving God, loving people has become quite marred 
to say it nicely. It's messed up, jacked up, however you want to say it. We don't do it well. And so, therefore, the Ten Commandments, fleshing them out, are so important. And, and I wish to say that as we go through the Ten Commandments that they get easier as we go, but actually they don't. They, I think they get even harder as, as we go along, maybe harder to live, harder to flesh out, harder to wrestle it, uh, down and, and to get lived out. For example, next week we're going to talk about sex. Yes, you heard sex in church. We're going to talk about adultery and, and how Lori and I deal with inf- infidelity in our home and how that's looked upon, dealt with, prevented, whatever, how you want to say it. And we're going to talk about We're going to actually share the stage together and share why I don't cheat on her and why she doesn't cheat on me. And so maybe you build your own list this week. Ask yourself the question, why am I not going to cheat on my spouse? And start writing those things out, and let's see how they they work. And that's next week, all right? So I'll just warn you right now, it's going to be PG-13. All right, it will be real, it will be tasteful, it will be transparent. And so it's going to be all those things, but if your purest ears can't handle it, then you probably want to skip day, all right? That's it, all right, before you think about it. Uh, so, but this week is not any easier. This week we're talking about murder. Now, murder's easy. I haven't done that. I haven't pulled the trigger. I haven't done anything, strangled anybody. I'm not masked or anything like that. I've not done that, but have you been an accomplice to it? Have you been a seed planter of it? Have you been one of those who's helped anger germinate into murder? Think about it for a while and think about it deeply. Because this is what I want us to get at. If you don't get anything out of this message, and that is this, that all life is sacred unto God. He, he starts it and He ends it. We don't end it when we want it. We don't end it whenever, whenever we're tired of dealing with our parents. We don't end it whenever our grandparents get a certain name. We don't end it because it, it came as an oops baby, all right? There are no oops to God. There may be oops to you and there may be oops to me, but there are no oops. There are no mistakes. And understanding the value of life from its very beginning to its very end and understanding that God is the one who charts out the days. God is the one who has the plan put in place. G. Campbell Morgan, again, I quoted from him a few weeks ago, former pastor, obviously got to be with the Lord now, but back, back in, uh, in England, he said it like this. I think it's beautiful. He said, human life is emphatically declared to be sacred. It's the divine creation, mysterious and magnificent, in its genesis and possibility. Utterly beyond the control and comprehension of any human being. Life is of God. To take it as to give it is His prerogative. It's a pretty bold statement, but I think it's also very picturesque to think about that. That life, my life, your life, your children's life, that is a gift from God. It was declared emphatically by God. It was brought into being by God. It was something that happened. Why is it that this couple can have children and this couple can't? I don't know. I don't want to get into that. I can't get into that. It's way beyond my pay grade. But let me say this. If you are blessed with children, whether through adoption or through birth, it is a gift from God. And you need to treat it and see it as such. Let's personalize it. Let's even look at our own lives though, a little bit more. Let's put it in the first person, my life. Say it. I want you to read this out loud with me. Read it with me. My life is emphatically declared to be sacred. It is a divine creation, mysterious and magnificent in its genesis and possibility. Utterly beyond the control of comprehension of any human being, my life is of God. To take it as to give it is His prerogative. Man, 
you talk about if we were to have that perspective on our lives, not just our children, not just future children, but on our own lives, how we would value and cherish each moment, each day, each opportunity that we live out our lives. Whenever I, you, we, us, in any form or fashion, step into, step up to, whatever you want to say, and start determining of our own will and volition that this life is extinguishable, this life is expendable, this life whatever, it gets a little hairy and dicey at this point. Because what we are doing is we are inserting ourselves in as God. And that's not a role that we are, have big enough shoes or big enough feet to wear those shoes. It's not our role. The murder is one of the oldest sins in the Bible. Let's, let's, let's first of all build some foundation. Let's reread uh, Exodus chapter 20 just to kind of lay a foundation. Now, let me just say this. In this message, this is not an easy message to share. There will be some that will be mad. There will be some that will be glad. There will be some that will be sad. But I hope in the end that we'll all find peace, we'll find truth, and we can find joy because that's where we're going, all right? So just hang with me if you can endure. Hang with me because this is going to get dicey. Chapter 20 of Exodus, chapter one, verse 1. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God. God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven. Now, it pretty much covers anything, right? Anything, any likeness, nothing whatsoever should be stepped in, placed in as a substitute God. Or under the earth, and you shall not bow uh, down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the fourth and uh, on the third and fourth generations to those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath, the longest one of all of them, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and, and do all your work, but the, the seventh day is the Sabbath and to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, you or your sons, or your daughters, or your male servants, your female servants, your livestock, your sojourners who are within your gates. And, and on six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that are in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore... The Lord blessed the Sabbath day. He made it holy. Honor your father and your mother. We're just going through these commandments. Now we're going to start talking about relationally. And the first relationship that you're born into, the, the, the relationship that will stick with you many times through, through hell and high water, whatever you go through, is, is your family. Your, your, even though you leave father and mother and cleave to your, to your spouse, hopefully your family will always be with you. Uh, honor your father and your mother. Here's the first commandment with the promise that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now we go into short, choppy statements. In fact, the next verse that we're going to read is actually in the Hebrew language only two words. It's reduced down to just two simple words, a not and then the word, okay? Don't do this. You shall not murder. Don't murder. Doesn't have a lot of explanation to it. Doesn't have a lot of background story to it. 
But when you look at scriptures and you really see it from the beginning of time, as I said earlier, that the one of the oldest and one of the earliest sins, they talk about the oldest profession. Well, let me tell you about the earliest sin, all right? One of the earliest sins is that of murder. You find in the in, in Adam and Eve, and their in their very family, whenever Cain is jealous and, and and envious of the the favor that Abel gets, and so what does he do? He whacks him. He just knocks him off. And you find that in this near perfect world, in this near perfect order, and you find yet even in the very beginning of time, you find murder. And what you're going to find throughout Scripture as we do a quick flyover today is that this murder theme is actually one of the greatest tools of Satan. He'll mask it. He'll hide it. He'll deceive it. He'll slide it in under something. And we have to be very, 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 very careful that we don't bite down on that apple. Because God is life and He is the giver of life. So what is then the, the, the opposite of that would be death and the taking of life. If God gives life, then who else better? Let's take life. So who is the taker of life but Satan himself? You find this in, in Jesus affirming this in John chapter 10, verse 10. A very commonly quoted verse is the thief, speaking of Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy But why did Jesus come? He came to give life and to give it more abundantly. You find, again, that darkness and light, that contradiction going on, that tension playing against each other, the life giver, the life taker, the destroyer, the the, the one who gives us the fullness of life. You find that tension going on. Even Jesus, when he was dealing with the Pharisees, obviously he had had it up to here with them. And so finally he just lets them know that, hey, you're acting a lot like your daddy, Satan. He said it in verse nine, chapter uh, eight. Excuse me, John chapter eight, verse forty-four. You belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. What's his father's desires? He was a murderer from the beginning. If you want to get to the root of what Satan is about from the very beginning of time, you find it in, in, in the Garden of Eden. Whenever God said, if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. What does Satan do? He says, you will not die. What, what happens? They eat of it and they die spiritually. And immediately begin to die physically. Satan has been taking life, taking life, Cain and Abel. You go all the way forward and you find it all the way through. You find the story. What happens? The life principle behind all of this is that murders exist because sin exists. And Satan is the father of them both. Let's just get it down that murder, death, killing, that is not of God. That's why it's in his it's in his rules list, if you will, his ten moves. We've got to understand the value of life and that God's the giver of life. Now you might ask, okay, Mike, is it ever justified to murder? The death penalty, war, what about that? That's all throughout the Bible. And I have to say that because death was one of, great, one of Satan's greatest introductions into this world, because killing was one of his greatest introductions into this world, what we now have is we have this, this mammoth growth, this, this exponential growth that happens where we kill, 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 and it just keeps killing. And so we have this continual growth. So what do you do? Yes, War can be justified. Yes, death penalty is most certainly justified. Whenever God was was working with Noah to reinvent, if you will, uh, earth 
uh, kind of kind of go at this because he had to wipe everything out and kind of start all over. He he does he says this in chapter nine to Noah. He says, "If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by a human hands." Why? Why would God allow this in there? Because the next statement tells us why. For God made human beings in our in His own image. The value of life is a part of God's creative order. And when we reach in and snuff it out, we are becoming gods ourselves in dis- determining what, or r- what is right. And so what you do with a person who is out taking lives is you've got to stop it. You've got to stop that. Even Moses here in chapter 20, we just read, Thou shalt not murder. You go to chapter 21, verse 12, and you find this statement. It says, Anyone who assaults and kills another person must be put to death. So there are times that God allows for, for death to be out there. In fact, just think about it. If we don't stop the killers of this world, then what we do is we have this, this actually rampant move of Satan throughout the world. When you look at just uh, Jimmy Carter's uh, excuse me, National Security Advisor, wrote a book a few years back called Out of Control, where he studied the 20th century. And he found that 175 million people's deaths could be attributed to four individuals. Four people. Stalin, or Hitler, Lenin, Stalin, and Mao. It's got to be stopped. It's got to be squelched. And if there is a killer out there, then you must stop the killing. Now here's where we're going to get personal and it's going to get tough. Let's talk about our own processes, our own involvement in modern-day murders. One, modern-day murder is when we allow anger to become a part of our life. You may say, whoa, 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 anger, that is the seed, that's the bullet that goes in the gun, that's the, the intent that begins to manipulate ideas I wish I could get rid of, I wish I could put this person out of my life. I, I have a friend. I can get you a friend or whatever the case may be. We start thinking. It starts with anger. And if we don't control anger, now not every anger ends in death, but I, will, I have to say this. My presupposition or my hypothesis is that every murder does begin with anger. Not every anger, not every bit of anger ends in murder, but every murder begins with anger. Think about it. Prove me wrong. First John chapter 3, verse 15 says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Anger, uncontrolled anger, anger out of hand, anger that's unresolved. It just consumes and takes over. Even Jesus said this. I mean, where, where did John get such a bold statement like this, that, that anger and murder, and if I hate my brother, then, I, then, I, then I'm a murderer? Well, get it from Jesus, Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother is liable to judgment. Just being angry, just letting that anger go further, just letting it metastasize inside of us, just letting it become a part of us, not finding health and healing from it. 
I mean, I go back and I think about when we were still living in Africa and the news came across of, of Eric Harrison and, and Dylan Klebold and, and the Columbine killings. I just, I, I still remember just groping to get news to find out why. Why? Why would these teenagers go in and, and do such a heinous act? And of course, today it's like, it's like common whether it's a movie theater or it's a, an elementary school or it's a church, there are no sacred grounds. Listen to this. There's no sacred ground because there's no sacred life. We have lost the sanctity of life. And when you lose the sanctity of life and anger takes over, then anybody and everybody is fair game. And so you take those two teenage boys going through the school randomly killing people. Were they angry at every single one of those? No, they were just angry. They were just angry. And you can go right on down the list. Maybe you even heard this past week of a great Christian, a great, a great war veteran, Chris Kyle and Chad Littlefield, who were just this past week, while they were helping another fellow soldier going through post-traumatic stress, helping him. They ended up turning around and taking the gun. This, this uh, Eddie Ruth took, turned around, took the gun and shot the very men who were helping him. Chris Kyle is actually in, in our services today. We have a couple of Navy SEALs that were friends with Chris Lyle. Kyle, excuse me. And knew him and are quite disturbed by that. And so I'm just I'm blown away by all of the anger that just kind of spills over and erupts. I can remember being in Australia a few years back and, and we were on the bus with all these Aussies and, and they had lots of questions about America. And, but the one question that kept circling back around and is why is America so violent? Why are there so many killings in America? And I became defensive at first, but then whenever they gave me case after case after case after case, I said, well, maybe you're right. I can remember being in Ho Chi Minh City this past fall and then coming back and having a good friend who's a Buddhist lawyer, literature teacher, very educated, 70-year-old, retired now. We had this amazing conversation and my last email from him was asking me, right after the Sandy Hook uh, uh, incident, asking me, why is America so violent? And see, sometimes we don't, we see the violence, but we don't see the ugliness of our anger. But it's all around us and it's manifesting itself. And listen, I'm going to make some Republicans mad. But listen, giving guns to angry people is not an answer. Securing that right, if it interferes with my right to live, is not healthy. And I'm a gun owner and I'm a hunter and I'm all that kind of stuff. But here's the challenge for us. If we are so angry and we are so full of anger, what are we going to do? We're going to let it out in some capacity. Let us beware. Let us be extremely aware of our own hearts. Matthew chapter 15 verse 19 says this, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder. These are what defile a person. You know, it's really not the guns that worry me. It's the evil and the angry people within that have guns. That bothers me. Number two, let's dive a little deeper. Abortion is a modern-day form of murder. Since 1973, 45 million unborn Americans have been killed in the womb. Defenseless. And let me just tell you, this is not easy, what I'm about to share. 
but just bear with me and please see the grace in the end. Um, it's not a political issue. It's not Democrats versus Republicans, I promise you. If you understand and just back up and see a little bit of the Bible and see a little bit of biology and you connect the two together, you say, yes, I can see it. That life doesn't begin outside the womb, it begins inside the womb. Life matters. Not every baby goes full term, so therefore life matters well within the womb. Listen to a couple of these verses. Psalm 139, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, even in God's creative order. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden uh, from you when I was being made in secret. When I was in the secret place of my mother's womb, I was not hidden from God. In the depths of the earth, that phrase depths of the earth is metaphoric for the womb. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when you were, when, when, when as yet there was none of them. Before I was breathing, God was creating. Before I was breathing, God was masterminding my life. Think about it. That's not clear enough. Look at Jeremiah and his life. And as he knew his life, called by God, even while he was in the womb, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God is speaking this. I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. What destiny does your child have in the womb? What destiny does the child of... of, Listen, again, I don't think there's illegitimate children. I think there's some illegitimate parents. But listen, the value of life is so overwhelming. There are three lies out there. I know there's lots more. And I've even blogged about it this week, and I never blog. So if you want to read it, you can read read some more. But here's a couple of lies that are out there. Embryos are fetuses. They're not babies. You know the problem with that? You try to depersonalize it, call it a fetus. But that's a 14th century Latin word for newborn creation. Fetus is a 14th century Latin word for newborn creation. Think about it. Second lie. Life begins after the birth, not in the womb. You know, okay, if you took that stance, that would be fine, but you would have to take that argument all the way through. The problem with that argument is, is that 38 states have fetal homicide laws that if I were to harm a mother in a traffic accident or whatever, I could be held liable for the death or the harm of that child who's still in the womb. So we've got a double talk going on here. It's almost an oxymoron that I can choose in one of those 38 states to go kill, but I at the same time can hold somebody else liable if they kill. Does it make sense? Number three, unsustainable life isn't life. That's one of the beliefs. So if it can't sustain itself, it can't be. Well, guess what? When your grandparents can't feed themselves, are they dead? No. We put them in a home. We get them help. We, we, get them year, uh, clock, uh, all, all help. we feed them ourselves. We do what we can do to keep them alive as long as we can because unsustainable life can still be life. Listen, if you don't believe it, then wear a sign around your chest that if I go unconscious and I need CPR, do not revive me. Because I can't sustain my own life. I mean, again, you've got to follow the logic all the way through, and it just doesn't make sense. So life does matter. In fact, Amelia Taylor was born in Baptist Hospital 
uh, when she was just 22 weeks old, 22 weeks and six days. Had somebody in our first service tell us their child was born at 23 weeks. Was told would be uh, deaf, blind, would never be able to speak, would not be able to walk, and to this day is a chaplain in the army. 20-something years later. Well, anyway, let me tell you about Amelia Taylor. She stayed in the, the hospital for four months, weighed four pounds when she left. By the way, this month she turned six years of age on the 20th. This is the truth. It's, it's maybe not easy to swallow and easy to take in, but it's the truth. But Jesus came with truth and grace. He came with truth and grace. John chapter 1, verse 14. So let me tell you another true story. And it wasn't something I went out and solicited. It came to me this week. In a conversation unrelated to this message, it ended up coming around to Lisa telling me her story. And the only reason I tell you her name is because she said, you can say my name. You can say my first name and you can say my last name. I said, Lisa, I'm not going to do that. She says, but she is so out there. And she so much wants people to hear the truth. When, let me tell you her story. In 1988, whenever she was had an unwanted pregnancy, she was looking for help, and her dad did not want the... They were, mom and dad were separated. Dad did not want an abortion. Mom was willing to help with the abortion. Mom, who's been out of her life for years, comes back in her life just in enough time, who had been an alcoholic and drugs and all that kind of stuff, came back into her life just enough time to pick her up and to take her to the abortion clinic. Took her, dropped her off, did not even walk in the front door with her, dropped her off, drove off to a local bar and got drunk while Lisa goes into the clinic for the procedure. She walks into the clinic all by herself. She didn't have enough money to be put to sleep, so she was awake during everything. More details than I will tell you from this stage that she experienced. They walked her out the back door because the front door is not where you take patients who have just finished their procedure. They make sure you go out the back door. She walked out the back door. Her mother was not there. She sits on the curb waiting for her mother to come. Drunk, of course. Now let me fast forward. She was young. She made some bad choices. All that was going on in her life. Twelve years go, go by. And internally she is in absolute turmoil. She feels guilt, she feels shame, she feels loss, she feels horrible, she feels all these things. She, she goes on, she marries, she goes on, she has children, but she is every day waking up carrying this weight with her for 12 years to the point that it affects her marriage. It was a part of the reason that they separated for 18 months. She had a couple of kids. She only moved back because she wanted her kids to not grow up in a divorced home. So she moves back in, not for the husband, but for the kids. And in this shame, and by the way, she's not a Christian and she's not listening to Christian voices. She's only listening to the voice inside of her dark soul. And her husband, who is a believer, who, call, he, who she calls, whom she calls her, her faith hero, just lovingly patient, loved her through this, not knowing all the history that she had gone through. And so he walks through and and through, this, through the life with her, and she's out cleaning the garage one day, she tells me. And he gave her a, a message to listen to on the holiness of God. And 12 years later, she falls to that dirty, grungy, 
garage floor while she's cleaning it, listening to this message, and she cries out to God. And she meets God for the first time in her life. And she embraces a God that loves her and looks past and forgives her of all her bad choices. And when her husband comes home, she runs to him and embraces him. And a beautiful story has come out. Lisa is now spending her... I asked her, the last question I asked her last night before I hung up the phone as just a follow-up time with her. I said, would you mind if I linked up other ladies with you that may be going through some tremendous pain and guilt? She said, that's what I live for. That's why I'm here. I say all that just to say this. Yes, truth is, life begins at conception. And anything short of that is murder. And I can become an accomplice to the crime by putting people in office, by, by contributing to the causes, or whatever the case may be. Let me think deeply about how am I a part of the murderous scene of abortion? And how am I a, peace, how am I a person of peace to those who have gone through that tragic loss? Number three, I'm a part of murder whenever I'm apathetic over sin. Sin is what took Christ to the cross. It was said to the people of Jerusalem, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified. You crucified them. I want to insert my name. Mike, you crucified Christ. But God raised him from the dead. Go ahead and throw that verse up, guys. Acts chapter 4, verse 10. You crucified, but God raised him from the dead. There's a beautiful storyline that, that plays out here as, as you think about it. Because if I haven't upset you yet, and I probably will in this next statement, if you're a Republican gun lobbyist, then you probably are mad because I'm advocating gun control. If you're a Democrat and you're all about the choice of the woman, then you're probably mad at me for that. And I'm okay with that. Because what I want you to hear more than anything today is that every one of us put Christ on the cross. And the reality is that Jesus died so that we wouldn't have to. He was murdered so that you and I could live. To live another day, to live for all eternity. The beauty of Christ is that He works and gets through this. Just as Lisa experienced on a dirty garage floor, you can experience in a carpeted, air-conditioned room. If you don't know the love of Christ, the forgiveness, the depth of that love, know it today. Give your life fully to Him today. When you came in, I hope you picked up or given an envelope. I got a letter this week from God. All right? I'm passing it on to you. This is your letter from God. I hope you know the freedom. The band is going to sing over us now, and I'm going to pray for us. But as you read this letter, I want you just to remain seated today, and I want you to read this. I want you to think about it. Maybe you need to write a prayer on the back. This is your time to listen to your Father. Reach out His arm to you and love you. Father God, we bow before you. We need you. We need to know that you're the life giver, sustainer, completer, finisher. You started it. You ended it. You will end it. And Lord, you, you cover 
a multitude of sins. And just as Lisa experienced grace, so people in this room need to experience grace. But before we can experience grace, we've got to encounter truth. And Lord, your word is truth. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Help us to be alive in Christ. Help us to be alive through you, Jesus. We crucified you, but God raised you from the dead so that we could have life. I'm going to be hanging out at the front. Randy, Eric will be hanging out at the front. Lori's up here. If you want somebody to pray with, somebody to work through some stuff with, we're here. Otherwise, you and God just have a deep conversation right now.